Good morning. It is good to be together this morning. Appreciate this time that we've been able to spend in worship together. I appreciate this opportunity that I have to be with you today and the opportunity that we're going to have to spend time thinking about God, thinking about His Word, and thinking about what He has done in our lives. If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I want to invite you to get it out and turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, if you have your copy of God's Word, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to verses 12 through 16. That's where we're going to spend some time studying together over the next few minutes. 1 Timothy chapter 1, looking at verses 12 through 16. Isn't it amazing to think about the great things that people are willing to do for other people? I came across a story from 2020 about a six-year-old kid named Bridger Walker. He was playing in a neighbor's garden one afternoon with, at the time, his four-year-old sister. He looked up and all of a sudden saw a dog running straight at his sister without even thinking about it. He ran over to his sister, stepped in between her and the dog, the dog ended up jumping on top of him and biting him on the face multiple times, continued to bite him until an adult came and broke it up. That day, he had to have immediate surgery. He had to have about 90 stitches put into his face that day. But most importantly to him, his sister was untouched. His sister was unharmed. A little bit later, he was asked about the event. He was asked about what was going through his mind on this occasion. And here's what he said. He said, if somebody had to die that day, I thought that it should be me. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing to think about the great things that people are willing to do for other people. If it amazes us, to think about the great things that people are willing to do for other people, that human beings are willing to do for other human beings, how much more amazing should it be to us when we think about the great things that God is willing to do for people, the great things that God is willing to do for human beings? In Psalm 126, in verse number 3, we find what I believe to be such a powerful and such a relevant statement. The Lord has done great things for us. I want to suggest to you this morning that those words from Psalm 126 and verse number 3 are not only true for the people of Israel as the psalmist had in his mind when he originally wrote these words down. I think that you and I would agree on the fact that these words are true for us today. Those words continue to be true for you and for me. I think that all of us would be very quick to raise our hands and to agree on the fact that the Lord has done great things for us. And that's what we're talking about this morning. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12-16, through 16, Paul is going to talk to us about some of the great things that the Lord had done in his life. And as we walk through this passage, by application, we're going to be able to see some of the great things that God has done in our lives. The Lord has done great things for us. The first of which we find in this passage, He has given to us transformation. 
That idea is presented to us in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Do you remember the kind of life that the Apostle Paul lived before he had a relationship with Jesus? Do you remember the life that he lived when in the Bible we find him identified by the name Saul instead of the name Paul? He actually tells us a little bit about that life. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 13, he gives us three phrases. He gives us three ideas that talk about his former life in Judaism. Notice the first one in 13. He says, though formerly I was a blasphemer. A blasphemer is someone who speaks evil against someone or something else. Paul was a blasphemer who spoke evil about Jesus. He spoke evil about Jesus' people. Paul was one who said bad things about Jesus. He said bad things about Jesus' people. But notice this wasn't just something that was present in his words. You look at the second word in verse number 13. He says, though formerly I was a persecutor. Paul didn't just say bad things about Jesus. He did bad things to Jesus. He didn't just say bad things about the church that belongs to Jesus. He did bad things, evil things to the church that belongs to Jesus. He was a persecutor. We see that in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 1 where he was one of the leaders in a great persecution that arose against the church in Jerusalem that scattered all of the disciples in Jerusalem throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except for the apostles. It wasn't just his words, it was his actions. He wasn't just a blasphemer, he was a persecutor. Didn't just say bad things, he did bad things to Jesus. Well, we ask the question, what kind of bad things did he do to Jesus? What kind of bad things did he do to Jesus' people? You see the third idea in verse number 13. The Bible says that he was an insolent, arrogant, violent opponent of the church of our Lord. We see that in several different places throughout the New Testament, don't we? We see that in Acts chapter 7 in verse number 58 where the first Christian martyr, Stephen, is about to be stoned and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. A few verses later in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, just that first sentence, the Bible tells us that that was Saul approving of Stephen's execution. We see it in Acts chapter 8 and verse 3 where very powerful language is used that Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. We see his insolence. We see him standing against the disciples of the Lord. In Acts chapter 9 and verse number 1 where he's breathing threats and murders against the disciples of King Jesus. We see it in Acts chapter 26 and verse number 10 where he not only put men and women, Christians, in prison, but every time he had the opportunity, he casted his vote against them. He casted his vote for them to be killed, for them to be executed. In Galatians 1 and 13, he speaks of his former life in Judaism, how he persecuted the church of God violently and he tried to destroy it. Look at Paul's former life. Look at his life before Jesus in 1 Timothy 1 and verse number 13. He was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. He was an insolent opponent of our Lord. But then you step back just one verse. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 12. You see how Jesus transformed the Apostle Paul. How he changed the Apostle Paul radically 
from the inside out. Just like there are three words, three ideas in verse 13 to talk about his former life in Judaism, there are three ideas that are present in verse 12 to talk about what Jesus did in his life. Look at verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength. When Paul thinks about what Jesus has done for him, he says, Jesus has enabled me. Jesus has empowered me. Jesus Christ has strengthened me. We're going to talk in just a few moments about how Jesus gave Paul a responsibility to fulfill, a job to carry out in preaching the gospel. He didn't just give Paul that job, that responsibility, and then take a step back and say, good luck with that. No, he gave him the strength that he needed to carry out that responsibility, to fulfill that job. Keep reading in verse 12. Paul says, he judged me faithful. Jesus looked at one who was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent and judged him to be faithful, judged him to be trustworthy, saw him for his potential, knew what he could become. One day, Jesus said, this man is going to be faithful. One day, he's going to be a trustworthy servant of mine, which leads us into the third idea. Paul says he appointed me to his service. In Paul's former life in Judaism, he lived in the service of Judaism at that time. He thought he was living in service to the Old Testament Scriptures. We might even say that Paul was living in his own service. Paul says, Jesus took me out of that and appointed me to His ministry. Appointed me to His service. Now I serve Him. Now I serve others by preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to them. When you look at verses 12 and 13, wouldn't you say that Paul had been radically transformed by the power and grace of Jesus Christ. Take the three ideas in verse 13 and contrast them with the three ideas that are present in verse 12. Jesus took somebody who was a blasphemer and strengthened him, enabled him, empowered him. Jesus took somebody who was a persecutor and judged him to be faithful and trustworthy. Jesus took somebody who was an insolent opponent of his and changed him, transformed him, placing him in his own service, in his own ministry. I think we could very simply say it. Jesus transformed a sinful individual from the inside out. That's true for the Apostle Paul. It's true for you and me as well, isn't it? The Lord has done great things for us. Out of all the great things the Lord has done for us, number one, He has given to us transformation. In the 1800s, there was a very famous artist named Edwin Landseer. There's a story from his life where he went to visit some friends who lived in Scotland. They lived in a huge mansion, the biggest mansion in the town. One of the servants was bringing them carbonated water on this occasion. He tripped and fell and spilt the carbonated water all over the wall. It left a big stain on the wall. Naturally, the people who lived there, the friends he was visiting, was frustrated by that. So they decided they were going to go into town to blow off just a little bit of steam. When they went into town, Edwin Landseer decided that he was going to stay back at the house. When they came back from town a few hours later, they went into the room where the spill had happened and the stain had been made. Edwin Landseer had taken some charcoal and he had drawn around that stain and transformed it into a beautiful picture of a waterfall surrounded by grass and flowers and animals. He took a stain on a wall and changed it into something beautiful. 
That's exactly what Jesus did in the life of the Apostle Paul. And that is exactly what Jesus is capable of doing in your life and in my life. When we stand on our own, we're full of guilty stains. But Jesus has the power to take those stains and change them into something amazing, change them into something beautiful. When you and I stand on our own, we make a mess of our lives. Can't you see that? Through the sins that we've committed, we make an absolute mess of ourselves. But then Jesus comes along when we place our faith in Him. He changes us and transforms us into someone who's not just beautiful, but someone who's going to be productive in His service. Somebody who's going to be productive in His kingdom. I think we can stand alongside of the Apostle Paul and say, I admit, I've committed some serious sins, but Christ Jesus has strengthened me. I've made a mess of my life, but Jesus judged me to be faithful, and every day He helps me to be faithful. I've done some things that, I've not, that I'm not proud of. I've lived and persisted in my own service. But Jesus has changed me, taken me out of that, and put me into His service. The Lord has done great things for us. The first thing we find in this passage is that He has transformed us. The second thing we find in this passage in verses 13 through 15, the Lord has done great things for us in giving to us His gift of salvation. You might be asking yourself the question, how was Paul able to be so changed? How was Paul able to be so radically transformed? I believe the answer to that question lies in verses 13 through 15. The answer is that he had chosen to receive the great gift of salvation that Jesus offers to every single individual. You look in verses 13 and 14, you find four key words. First, verse 13, looking at the end of that verse, Paul says, I received mercy. Mercy is having compassion on somebody. Mercy is the inward, internal feeling that causes us to reach out when we see people who are in need. At one time, the Apostle Paul was in need. At one time, the Apostle Paul was lost. At one time, the Apostle Paul was spiritually bankrupt. Jesus Christ saw that. And instead of turning him away in anger, he had compassion on him. He saw him in his need and gave him exactly what he needed. Jesus Christ offered the mercy, and Paul made the decision to receive the mercy. Look at verse 14. Paul talks about the grace of our Lord, and he says it overflowed in his life. I like to think about it like this. You fill up a bathtub, you, you turn on the nozzle, the water starts to run, you stop up the drain. If you leave the water on, the bathtub's going to fill up all the way to the top. If you continue to leave the water on, it's going to overflow. The water's going to run over the sides, and if you continue to leave the water on, you keep on going down this, this train of thinking, you're going to flood your entire house. Now, we know it's pretty obvious it's not good if you leave your water on and it overflows and it floods your entire house. I don't know about you, but I can't think of a more powerful idea than the grace of our Lord overflowing in our lives. Paul says, that's where I am. That's what Jesus has done for me. Grace, the unmerited favor of God. A gift that I can't earn. A gift that I will never deserve. He says, that's what Jesus has given to me. And it doesn't just fill me up halfway. He says, it doesn't just fill me up all the way. 
But Paul says in verse number 14 that the grace of God was overflowing in his life. It was overflowing in his heart. And then you look at the end of verse 14. He mentions two more words. The faith and love that are found in Christ Jesus. I think there are a couple ways of looking at that. First, faith and love originate in Christ Jesus, don't they? You think about our faith. Hebrews 12 and verse number 2. Jesus is described as the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Where does our faith come from? It comes from the Lord Jesus. It finds its origination in Him. What about our love? Ephesians 5 and verse number 2 says that we are to walk in love. What's the standard? Just as Christ loved us. Faith and love are found in Christ Jesus in terms of that they originate in Christ Jesus. They flow from Christ Jesus. But I think we could also look at a second idea there, that faith and love are only found in Christ Jesus. You look at this passage, you're not going to find these ideas out in the world. You're not going to find what we're talking about this morning anywhere other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at those four words. Mercy, grace, faith, love. I believe those four words can be summarized in verse number 15, which I believe, this is my personal opinion, I believe that this is one of the most powerful statements in all of the writings of Paul. Notice he says, this saying is trustworthy. Here's something you can put your faith in. Here's a solid foundation that's never going to move. A solid foundation that you can place both feet on. This saying, he says, is deserving of full acceptance. Not half acceptance, full acceptance. If we were to vote on the validity of what Paul's about to say, every single one of our hands should immediately shoot up into the sky to say, I believe this with all of my heart. This saying is trustworthy. Deserving of full acceptance. What's the saying? Christ Jesus came into the world for one purpose. To save sinners. Jesus Christ didn't come into the world to save righteous people. He didn't come into the world to save people who are holy. He didn't come into the world to save people who already have everything together. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, Paul, how do you know that? How do you know that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners? How are you so confident to say that this is a trustworthy saying and deserving of full acceptance? Well, look at the end of 15. Of whom I am the foremost. Paul says, I know that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners because I'm the worst one. He says, I believe that I'm the worst sinner in existence. I I'm the foremost of all sinners. And if Jesus can save me, then he can save anybody. Jesus did in Paul what he came to earth to do, and that is to save sinful people by mercy, grace, faith, and love. The Lord has done great things for us. One of the greatest things that he's done for us is he's given to us his great gift of salvation. I love the way that G.W. Knight puts it. He says, when a person works an eight-hour day and receives a fair day's pay for his time, that's a wage. We're familiar with that. When a person competes with an opponent and receives a trophy for his performance, that's a prize. When a person receives appropriate recognition for his long service or high achievements, that's an award. But watch this. When a person's not capable of earning a wage, can win no prize, and deserves no award, yet receives such a gift anyway, that's salvation. 
That's what we're talking about in this passage. You and I are not capable of earning a wage from God. You and I can win no prize from the hand of God. You and I deserve no award from the One who is sovereign over all creation, yet He gives us those things anyway. That is salvation. At one time, you and I were in need. Jesus Christ saw that need and had compassion on us. Instead of turning us away, He took us in and gave us exactly what we needed. God's grace, as we live as Christians right now, it's not just filling us up. God's grace is overflowing in our lives. It's overflowing in our hearts. We live every day in the faith and love that are only found in Jesus. The faith and love that flow from the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. Just like the Apostle Paul, we can say this is a trustworthy saying and deserving, worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So often people feel so guilty about the sins that they've committed. I don't know if Jesus could ever save me. I don't know if Jesus could ever do anything in my life. Look at all the sins that I've committed. Look at all the mistakes that I've made. Jesus didn't come to save perfect people. Jesus came to save sinners. We are recipients of the purpose of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And then we see this third idea in this passage. The Lord has done great things for us in verse 16, giving to us exemplification. Paul identifies himself as a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent of the Lord's church. He calls himself the worst of all sinners, the primary, the foremost of all sinners who exist. But yet the Lord transformed him. The Lord changed him. The Lord gave to him a tremendous gift of salvation. Notice in the Apostle Paul's mind that that wasn't just for him. That wasn't just for his personal salvation. That wasn't just so that he could go to heaven one day. Notice the example that Jesus made out of the Apostle Paul, verse 16. But I received mercy for this reason. How would you finish that statement? I received mercy for this reason so that I can go to heaven one day. So that I can live in relationship with God. So that I can have my sins forgiven. All of those things are important. But notice how Paul finishes the statement. I receive mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in Him for eternal life. Do you hear what the Apostle Paul is saying? Paul is saying, if Jesus Christ can do this in my life, then He can do this in anybody's life. If Jesus Christ can transform me, if He can save me, then He can transform and save anybody who's willing to place their faith, who's willing to place their trust in Him. Paul's life was a living testimony to the immense, perfect patience of the Lord. His transformation, his salvation wasn't just for him. It was for anybody who would take the time to look. Paul's life proclaimed the message. Look at what Jesus Christ can do in an individual's heart. Look at what Jesus Christ can do in an individual's life. That was the message that was put on the front page. The Lord has done great things for us. He's given to us transformation and salvation. But notice He's also given to us exemplification. The Lord has made examples out of us about what He's capable of doing in a person's life. I have a friend who lives in Mayfield, Kentucky, the place where Leslie and I live right now. He's been a member of the church for about a year. He was sharing with me about a month ago 
that he used to struggle with substance abuse. He's been sober for about 10 years, but that was a real struggle for him. He told me, Tyler, God delivered me from that. God saved me from that. And if God can do it for me, then I know He can do it for anybody else. That's not just something that he said. That's something that he lived. There are two people in his life right now who have struggled with substance abuse in the past who he is helping to overcome that. Why is he doing that? He's doing that because he believes with all of his heart, if Jesus can do it for me, then Jesus can do it for you. Jesus Christ has transformed us. It's beautiful, isn't it? Jesus Christ has given to us his amazing gift of salvation. Here's my question, though. How selfish would we have to be to keep that to ourselves? Jesus has transformed us. Jesus has changed us. But it's not just for our personal benefit. It's not just for our personal salvation. It's not just for our personal forgiveness or even for our personal eternity. Our lives should be living proofs of what Jesus can do in a person. Our lives should be testimonies that say, you see me? This isn't because I'm great. It's because I serve a God. It's because I serve a Lord who is great. Psalm 126 and verse number 3, the Lord has done great things for us. Doesn't this passage really open up that idea in our minds where the Lord has given to us transformation, salvation, exemplification? Before we close our Bibles, though, and walk away from this passage, I want to ask one more question, and that's the question, how should we respond? Would you say that we've seen some beautiful truths in God's Word today? How should we respond to those beautiful truths? truths? How should they change our lives? If you have your Bible open, I want you to notice the first three words of 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Do you see them? What are they? I thank Him. Where you are in your life right now, I'm sure that you have a lot of things that you're thankful for. You're thankful for your family and friends. I hope you're thankful for your church family. This is a great church family to be a part of. You're thankful, more than likely, for your job. Maybe you received a promotion and you're thankful for that. Thankful for the house that you live in, the car that you drive. Maybe you're thankful for the school that you attend or the school that somebody in your life attends. I think that's a good thing. We we should be thankful for all of those things. But how often are we intentional about thanking Him. On a weekly basis, how often are we intentional about expressing our gratitude and thankfulness to King Jesus who has made such a tremendous difference in our lives? I want to challenge you over the next week. I want to challenge you over the next seven days to spend some more time with this passage, to contemplate and consider the ideas that are presented in this passage. Allow it to drive you to your knees in gratitude Allow it to drive you to your knees, overwhelmed with thankfulness for who Jesus is and for what Jesus has done for us collectively and individually. But it's not just about this week, is it? It's not just about the next seven days, but it's about every week. It's about every day thereafter. Are we going to live constantly overwhelmed with gratitude for Jesus and for what Jesus has done for us. When we're truly thankful for Jesus, that's not just going to be seen in our words or in our prayers. 
it's going to be seen in our lives. A heart of thankfulness will always produce a life of faithfulness. You think that's something we can hold on to? You think that's an application that we can make in our lives from our study this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 1? A heart of thankfulness to Jesus will always produce a life of faithfulness for Jesus. Are you struggling with sin this morning? Are you struggling with temptation? Are you struggling with some kind of trial, difficulty, or tribulation in your life? Psalm 126 and verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us. The question that we have to answer is, what are we willing to do for Him? Maybe you need encouragement this morning. Maybe you're struggling in some way and would like the prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe you'd like to study the Bible with somebody. That would be our privilege to meet you where you are as together we stand and sing a song of encouragement.